Welcome to episode 16 of the Rochester Club 476 podcast. I'm your host, Jake Marchand, and this show includes speeches given by me and my fellow Toastmasters at our club in Rochester, New York. We meet every two weeks, and this episode is from our meeting on December 15th, 2022. If you're not a member of Toastmasters, I hope this podcast helps you see the value that these clubs bring. To put it simply, Toastmasters clubs are individual groups that come together to assist each other with public speaking. Some do it for personal, and some do it for professional reasons. And Toastmasters is international with over 15,000 clubs in 149 different countries. Anyways, I'm going to get right to the episode. If you want to learn more, you can listen to the intro episode of this podcast or go to the show notes for a direct link to the Toastmasters website to find a club that's local to you. First up, we have Mr. George Stukes. George has been a member of Toastmasters for over six years now, and the title of his speech is Summer in a Glass. So here's George Stukes with Summer in a Glass. many of you enjoy a good glass of wine every once in a while? Okay, pretty good show of hands. How many of you would like to learn more about how that wine comes to be? Excellent. Mr. Toastmaster, fellow Toastmasters, and most welcome guests. I didn't get really inspired until a couple of years ago to learn more about wine, because I'm really not that big of a wine drinker. But I'm fascinated by the whole craft. We started vacationing in Cuca Lake two summers ago. And you can't spend all of your time on the water, or in the water, especially when you're surrounded by a plethora of wineries, and distilleries, and cideries, and breweries. But there was one object that created my, that sparked my interest. One object. Summer in a glass. It's Evan Dawson night at Dosemasters 476. <laughs> Summer in a glass, the coming to be of Finger Lakes wine by Evan Dawson. This was on the coffee table. I did not read it on vacation. But as soon as I got home, I bought it. It's a fascinating read. If you like your wine, and if you especially want to know more about the Finger Lakes wineries, this is an excellent read. So there's different ways to learn about wine. You could be hardcore. Right down the road to Canandaigua, New York Kitchen, formerly known as New York Wine and Culinary Institute, has classes and certifications. Now probably the low end of that would be going just to wine tastings. The problem with that is learning that listening to that person behind the counter may not be your best source of education. <laughs> How do I know this? Well, this summer we were at a winery near Cuca Lake, and the gentleman made a comment You can't age white wine. <clears throat> well, the summer before, at the end of Cuca Lake is Hammondsport. And the, Village Inn and Tavern in Hammondsport has a fabulous wine cellar. And guess what? 
they have aged white wines that don't turn to vinegar. We know, because we had a bottle. <laughs> but somewhere in between, there, there's, a, there's a method of education that is also fun. I'm not dissing tastings, don't get me wrong. The first year, we went to Dr. Frank, Constantin Frank's winery for his wine and food pairing. Now, you have to make a reservation. It is a little bit pricey, not exorbitant. You show up, it's a controlled environment, small crowd. You get to sit next to people you don't know. And you get to drink some really good wine. Both, both years now, they have taken us through the sparkling wine cellar and process. And it was different both years. Very educational. They can't call it champagne because it's grown <coughs> in France in the Champagne region. And then you go back upstairs to, it's actually called the 1886 wine and food pairing. Because the house it's built in is their 1886 house, built in 1886. And then you can sit down to some really delicious bites of food with wines, but you're not done yet because usually that inspires a trip down to the winery store and either a few bottles or a few cases come back. In our case, it's usually a few cases. <laughs> But it's, but it's educational. This, summer, this fall, we went to um, Hector Wine Company. And they had cleverly named this event, Get Franked Up. <laughs> it was held in the barrel, ro in the barrel room. Fortunately, it was a, a mild day. And then again, it was about 60 people. And we sampled... Cabernet Francs from not only the Finger Lakes, but across the continents. And we had a three-course meal. But what was so fascinating about this was the assistant winemaker, his knowledge. The one mistake I made is I didn't go ask this young man, are you a Toastmaster? <laughs> he never had a verbal pause. Charlie, you would have loved his hand motions. <laughs> and the thing was, that distract, it wasn't really distracting, but his fingers were sort of a little purple <laughs> from sorting grapes. <laughs> but he was passionate about his winemaking. And he talked about the bands of geography across the North and South continents. And he talked about things like indigenous yeast. <laughs> I'm like, indigenous yeast? It's the yeast that comes in with the grapes off the vine. And they don't add it. In some applications, they don't add anything. So my encouragement for those of you that want to learn more, go find these, because they're out there. They won't come to your doorstep unless you belong to a wine club. So I'm going to share with you copies of the book cover and some of the links so you all can go get front up. This <laughs> Toastmaster. Great speech, George. Thank you for that, and thank you for being willing to share it on the podcast. 
Next up, we have a return speaker to this podcast, Mr. Mike Kalpa. Mike has been a member of Toastmasters for about three years now, and this was his first time giving this speech. The title of his speech is Stay on Your Lane. Now, here's Mike Kalpa with Stay on Your Lane. Mr. Toastmaster, fellow Toastmasters, and most welcome guests, stay in your lane. I want you to stay in your lane, because if you don't, you'll be in the gutter, bowling. I started bowling again just a few years ago. I love it. I'm passionate about this sport. I grew up in Buffalo. I'm part Polish. I bowl. My father and his three brothers in the 1920s got their first jobs in bowling alleys. They were the guys at the end of the lanes who sat on a little little stool here, and when you got the pins down, they were the, the, the boys that went down there, hopefully not getting hit by a ball, and re-racked the pins. My father and all my uncles were a little hard of hearing because of that. <laughs> I grew up watching bowling on TV. I bowled on weekends. I just loved it. Now, little by little, things changed. I went to college. I traveled and got out of that. I hadn't bowled in a long, long time. Got off the road in 1990 and decided I'm going to join a league, a bowling league in the fall. And I did, and it was wonderful bowlers, and I bowled a year. And the following summer, I overpracticed one day and damaged the sheath that your tendon is in right here. So from then on, I wear a little... Ring. I couldn't bowl. I, I, I couldn't play trumpet for a week. So I quit. That's it for bowling. I'm never going to bowl again. Now, five years ago, I'm watching, I was going down a YouTube wormhole, <laughs> and I found bowling. Oh, let's look at bowling again. I used to like bowling. Well, there's a new technique now that takes a lot of the pressure off your fingers. And I thought, well, let's try this. I did try it, and with a fair amount of solari, <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> when you see someone bowl, for those of you who know bowling, a little five-step approach. One, two, three, four, five. Thumbs in the hole, fingers in the hole. That's been that way for 100 years. This is the new technique. No thumb hole. So you got your fingers in here. Your thumb's over here, but you're using both hands. The fellow who came up with this style came up with it because when he was three years old and started bowling, he couldn't handle the ball with one hand. And he just never changed. One, two, three, four, five. And this, this, this takes a little pressure off your, your fingers. Also, when you release the ball, your hand's under here. Boom, it gives it this track, this spin, so that it goes into the pins at a six-degree angle. The balls are newer, they're not rubber like in my father's day. This is reactive resin, epoxy, epoxy, a glue. <laughs> That's rather porous and picks up oil on its way down the lane. So it's gonna start hooking rather than just skidding. And then when it gets to what we call the dry part of the lane, boom, and you get a lot of strikes. <laughs> There's a couple other techniques of bowling, and they all, they all work for, uh, for, for uh, the people who use these techniques. There's a fellow on my league 
who gets to the foul line, and I don't know how his arm stays attached. <laughs> Boom, he does this action. I can't do it with this arm because my shoulder's a little sore from bowling, but as I say, <laughs> I'm from Buffalo. I don't, I'll, little pain, I don't care. There's another fellow. I'll get to these guys later. He gets to the foul line and just throws the ball. There's nothing, no, no nothing, just throws the ball. The atmosphere at the bowling lanes is a riot. You'll be sitting there, and people are bowling, four-man teams, 16 teams, and from over there you hear, bowler! In other words, somebody just made a tough spare, some tough shot, and they, that's their compliment. You're sitting there, you're getting ready to bowl, and you hear a group of grown men singing, Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas. <laughs> what is this? When someone has, hits a gutter, has a gutter ball, what's left are the pins in the shape of a Christmas tree. So that's a little collective insult from your, your pals at the bowling alley that you, you screwed up a little bit. There is, um, lost my train of thought. Okay, and, and the atmosphere also of the bowling alley is a certain amount of beer drinking, because that's bowling, but I've n thankfully never seen anyone drunk. I joined a league when I first decided to get back into this, and lots of drunks, and I, I quit that league right away. But this is, this is a, t uh, a place for bowling. Now, getting back to those guys who, who have this, this unusual technique, the fellow who bowls like this had three 300 games last year. 300 is as good as it goes. He just puts it on this track, boom, 300. The fellow who bowls like this got a 299. In other words, he only had one more ball to throw in order to get a perfect game. And it went in there. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't a 299. It was a 290. A 290. His last ball went in the gutter. 11 perfect balls. <laughs> now, there's the excitement of this, too. Where, as we're all bowling, I know I am, scanning the scores on the screens. So when someone has five, six, seven strikes in a row, a crowd starts to gather. <laughs> so maybe the crowd got to this guy, who knows, but his last ball, boom, right in the gutter. So as walking away from, the, from the, that shot, he had a certain sallow expression on his face. <laughs> My message to you is if you take up bowling, don't throw it in the gutter. Stay in your lane. Very entertaining speech, Mike, and thank you for sharing this speech with us on the podcast. Next up, we have another returning speaker, Mr. Mahad Nishtar. This is Mahad's first year as a Toastmaster, and this was his first time giving the speech. The title of the speech is Purpose Building. So here's Mahad Nishtar with Purpose Building. Thank you, Toastmasters, most, most welcome guests. In a few weeks' time, I will be teaching a course on habit building at RIT, and one of the first topics we'll be covering is called uh, is about vision building. Before we get into that, I'd like to share a story with you. This story takes place in 1966. 
A great fire had blazed through the streets of London, leaving many historic buildings destroyed and reduced to ashes. A few years later, the famous architect Christopher Wren was tasked with rebuilding St. Paul's Cathedral. One day while visiting his construction site, he came, he came upon three bricklayers. The first and to each of the three bricklayers, he asked the question, what are you doing? The first bricklayer replied, I'm laying bricks so I can feed my family. The second bricklayer replied, I'm laying bricks to build a wall. I'm a wall builder. The third bricklayer, this was the most productive of the three, and he became the future leader of the group. He stood tall and he proclaimed, I'm laying bricks to build a great cathedral for the worship of the Almighty. It's evident by the response of the third bricklayer that he felt a greater sense of meaning and purpose with his work. His actions were driven towards a greater goal, which was to build a great cathedral. Similarly, when you build a vision for yourself, you imbue your life with meaning and purpose. A vision is a roadmap to the future. So using a simple diagram and the proven memory palace technique, we'll go over four crucial steps on how anyone can build a vision for themselves. The first step towards building a vision is to imagine a massive building. This building is, a, is shaped like a hexagon. So imagine you're looking at the building from a bird's eye view and you have this shape. Each of the walls of this hexagon represent three-year goals in the following six categories. These categories are fitness, faith, family, friends, finance, and field. Now it's important when you come up with these three-year goals that they are just beyond what you think you're capable of achieving, that they stretch the imagination. The next part of the vision diagram is to imagine a brick adjacent to each wall on the inside of the hexagon. So as you can see, we have six bricks here, and these bricks, these will be the, um, the building blocks, these will be the building blocks to help you to reach your goal. Each brick represents the smallest attainable, actionable goal you can take toward, to make progress towards your end goal. The third step of the vision diagram is to, is to draw a line in the center of the, of the hexagon. This line represents a pen. And the purpose of the pen is to show the act of journaling and reflection. You want to make sure that each week you are tracking your progress and reflecting on your goals. What, what progress did you make over the past week in these six categories? And what goals do you have? What mini goals do you have for the following week. The final step of the vision diagram, and this is step number four, is represented by these two arrows in the center. And this stands for sharing. Share your vision. You wanna share your vision with your loved ones because they're the ones who will help you, who will inspire you, who will encourage you, and will hold you accountable on your journey to realize your vision. So let's recap. We talked about how a vision is a roadmap to the future and it helps to um, give meaning and purpose to your life. We talked about the four steps 
of uh, building a vision. The first step is uh, that, that is the hexagon, and each of the walls of the hexagon represent three-year goals in the six F categories. The second step are the bricks within the hexagon. Each brick represents the smallest actionable step you can take towards achieving your goal. Third step is, um, is a pen in the center of the hexagon, and this represents the act of tracking your progress. And the fourth step is sharing your vision so that others may encourage you on your journey. The ultimate goal is to live a life, is to live a purpose-driven life. And I discovered these concepts a year and a half ago uh, during residency uh, after I read a book called uh, Vivid, Vivid Vision by Cameron Herald. And in order to rem quickly remember these concepts, I have since created this diagram to help me to, uh, to come back and you know, remind myself of these concepts. Uh, these concepts have helped me tremendously in my life, and I hope that you may also gain some benefit from them. Very impressive speech, Mahad. Thank you for sharing that inspiration with us on the podcast. Well, there you go. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed hearing those speeches from George, Mike, and Mahad. And thank you all again for sharing your speeches with us. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. The best ways to support are to either go ahead and leave a review where you are listening or share the podcast with someone who would enjoy as well. Also, if you'd like to leave leave some feedback for any of the speakers. I'll leave my email in the show notes and I will make sure to forward your message on to them. If you're interested in learning more about Toastmasters, just head to toastmasters.org. I'll leave a direct link in the show notes for you. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you next time on the Rochester Club 476 podcast. <laughs>